Hello and welcome to the Melting Pot Podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse, and today I'm talking to Nikki Gattenby. I met Nikki a couple of years ago when she and I were both speaking at a Happy Workplace conference hosted by Henry Stewart at Happy, one of my former interviewees on the podcast. And I heard Nikki had uh, written a book about her experience, which is just published, available in all good bookstores, super engaged. So I was really keen to have a chat with her about how she'd sort of drawn together her experiences and put it in a book. And in the book, there's a manifesto, and we talk a bit about uh, some of those things. They've got a dream machine. Uh, They've helped their staff get on the property ladder. They've capped their headcount at 60, but don't want that to stop them growing. So they've got to work hard to drive growth that's not headcount related. Fantastic conversation about how you attract and retain great talent and how you work when you've put some constraints like headcount in place. But also phenomenal to hear how they've made the dreams come true of so many of of the employees. So I hope you enjoy the conversation with Nikki. I'm Nikki Gattenby from Prepelinet, and I'm the Managing Director and Co-Owner. We're a marketing agency based down in Brighton, and our whole ambition is to enable our clients to be found online. We have a background in search. We are sitting on a mountain of, of data, understanding what people are searching for online. There's thousands of searches happening every second. So we have a deep insight into what people want, and our whole approach is about enabling our clients to be found as answers to those queries, answers to those searches, in places they deserve to be found. And how, how long has the business been around? 15 years. It's our 15-year anniversary next year. Congratulations. Do you have anything planned? We do, indeed. When we had our 10-year anniversary, we took the whole company skiing in the Alps. About 60% of people couldn't ski when they went, and 90% could when they came back. And we only had one broken shoulder in the whole 60 of us. Do you do an annual ski holder? Our CEO lives out in the mountains, so um, we do this thing called integration stations where people in a business who don't necessarily work together every day get to go out on a trip and an expedition, one of our values is adventure, so this is us living our adventure, and they go out and do something very different from what we would normally do day to day in terms of marketing. So it's not an annual full company thing, but um, every five years, that's kind of our the groove we've got into now, taking everybody away for a couple of days. But what we call is our AGM. That's fab. So, but wind back. So, you said your CEO lives in the mountains. So, tell me more about how you're the managing director, the CEO lives in the mountains. How does that work? So, Jack and Jim are founders, began the agency 15 years ago. I got involved a decade ago. Um, I was working advertising agencies, direct marketing agencies in London and luckily Paris. And Jack and Jim had got the business to a certain size, it was 15 people, and kind of hit that point where. Mm, need to change how this business is being run, need to get it to the next level. It, it was a sound business, you know, they had clients and they had teams, but there was a lot more that could be done in terms of running it in a way that would enable us to scale up and be more professional and, and actually have our brand known in the marketplace. You know, 10 years ago, it was very much Propeller Who, and we were trying to pitch for clients and pitching a lot, not necessarily winning a lot, and plugging that leaky bucket of business. You know, the business was functioning, but there was a lot that could be doing better. So over the last decade, we've, we've changed that business drastically and we've been named one of the best places to work in the UK for the last six years running. There's now nearly 60 of us and we are winning awards for our client work. We are working with much bigger bigger brands, much more purposeful brands. And we're doing, I believe, in most instances, the work of our lives and our team are really happy. 
And our whole reason on Detra is to enjoy ourselves at work. Recently written a book about it in terms of engagement because we want to make sure people are as engaged as possible in what they're doing. I'm sure you know there's a global engagement crisis. Only 30% of people are engaged worldwide in what they do every day, which means 70% of us are turning up, probably not bringing our full selves to work, possibly just hoping not to get fired. And we don't want to work in a world like that. We want to change that world. So we've done a lot of work on our vision, our values, our culture. And it's the way we live and breathe the business. You know, Porter was right when he said culture eats strategy for breakfast. And we flipped that statistic at Propellinet. So 90% of the team were engaged. Or we've even broken a new category called super engaged, which is the title of the book. And we want to share that with the world because a lot of what we are doing is bringing our outside worlds into the business, which means we have a lot more fun at work. But it's also very compelling from a commercial perspective and an engagement perspective. And one of the reasons Jack lives out in the mountains, because that is his life dream. And we talk a lot about dreams in our business. And if we can make dreams come true for each other and it has a business benefit, then why wouldn't we do it? It seems quite odd to be talking about dreams at work. But I can guarantee when you start doing it and you start to realize what an impact you can have on people's lives and a commercial benefit, it's kind of an engagement double whammy. Oh, blimey. I don't know where to start there. I had a question and then now, now, now I have 10. I feel as though I can't not ask you about the book now because if I leave the book till later, then you know, maybe that's the place to start. We start sort of in the now because you've, you've got a book coming out. Maybe you, should, you could tell me the thing about the book and then I'll take you back in time to hopefully step you through some of the things you've done over the last 10 years. Or maybe, we'll, maybe I won't need to because maybe telling the story of the book will answer all of those questions okay okay so the reason for the book i stood on many stages originally when we first won one of the great places to work in the uk award talking about the business and how we transformed it from a well, our own particular breed of chaos to one of the most engaging businesses in the uk and every time i stood on the stage people asked me more questions and asked me have i written a book about it and until that last year my stock response was i'm too busy to write a book what i actually meant was i'm too terrified to write a book <laughs> i quite like i quite like being on the stage you get that immediate feedback and you can see how people are reacting to what you're saying and you can go down different paths committing it all to paper is a whole other journey in itself and i have to say over the last month of writing it i've really honed our thinking around what we're doing because capturing it in a way that is bite-sized enough to other people because they haven't lived and breathed with you 10 years of your business is a really compelling way of knowing what you're doing is working or not and kind of proving to yourself what you might need to work on going forward so the idea was our whole vision is to make life better it's come from a very fundamental story which i can share with you about a very inspirational person we met but if we can make life better in the world if we can make life better for our clients and their customers and our team and our community, then we're doing good in the world and we can actually feel good about that and it's, it's great for engagement. And I was in the Alps a while ago and at a conscious business event and one of my friends there said to me when we were talking about our businesses and I was saying that make life better with our philosophy, Naveed said to me, well Nick, if that is true, and you really want to live your vision, you need to write the book, you need to get the ripple effect of make life better going beyond the walls of the agency and into the wider world. And I said, hey Dom, I was a bit he got me. He'd completely got me because he was absolutely yeah. right. You need friends like that, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so good. He hit the nail on the head because you really need to live and breathe your vision and your values. And, and for me, this is the best way I could do it beyond the walls of the agency. So that, that was the catalyst. That was the reason for writing the book in the first place. So your founders living in the Alps, are they still involved in the business day to day? 
I mean, fantastic that they go and live in the Alps. That's brilliant. I mean, what a, what an outcome if you start a business and end up living in the Alps. But so how do you work with them? So um, when I first arrived at Planet, as I said, we had our own particular breed of chaos. And founders, entrepreneurial thinkers tend to start a business and get to a point where that chaos doesn't work for them anymore. My approach is, is much calmer. I like to have a little bit of structure to release some creativity because some people relish living in chaos. Others can't see through the chaos to actually do work. So we, we work quite hard on putting in place a way that everybody could be as creative as possible and enjoy their work because they kind of knew how the business ran. So professionalizing what we do was a big part of my role and enabling innovation to come in from loads of areas and not just the founders themselves. Over the decade, that has happened tenfold. And the more innovation coming from other areas, the less the founders have to be in the business. They're still involved from an innovation perspective. They're still involved from a legal perspective and making sure that the, you know, the business is safe. But they have a very different spin on what we're doing. No longer are they involved with clients, and that's fine because we have a, a raft of very experienced, really good people who can do that and do it brilliantly. Jack has set up in France, and I applaud him for this, Dream Valley, so I say dreams are essential to what we talk about at work. And what I love is that he has gone into France hardly speaking any French, and even the French people in his valley now refer to it as Dream Valley, which I think is pretty stunning stuff. And the idea of Dream Valley is to enable startups, businesses that are already underway and mature, free thinkers, people who want to have a bit of space to think about their business, whether they're at the beginning, halfway through, or thinking about leaving. Whenever they are in their area of business, it's a space for them to go and think differently. Now, we can all go to a conference and they're brilliant. We can all go and speak with a mentor, that's brilliant. But there's nothing better than changing your whole being to a completely different environment to free up your thinking. So Jack does that with other businesses. And neighbors would come out and have retreats out there and they go mountain climbing and whitewater rafting and all those wonderful things. And we do as an agency too. But what it is, it's a wonderful beacon for our whole ability to think about make life better in a different way, to live our value of adventure, to release the creativity that we want to, and to get some purposeful business coming back into the agency that potentially would never have connected with us in the first instance, because we are less known for the purposeful business, we're more known for marketing, whereas Dream Valley is a beacon for purposeful business and a changing approach. On your scale of journey, did you start with the purpose or did you come back to the purpose later? Once you sorted the chaos, was it time for the purpose when the chaos was, had been fixed? Great question. It was latent to start with. What we did know was that we wanted to run a really well business and well-being is another one of our values because I've worked in advertising direct marketing for years in, in London and various other places and worked with various captains of industry and been a little bit disappointed each time on the single line focus on money, on margin, on the price on people's head. And I prefer to think about putting people first because I fundamentally believe, and I can see it every time, if you put people first, the money will come. If you put money first, people tend to leave. And we connected, myself and the founders, on, on that very principle because having enjoyment at work is paramount. It doesn't mean to say that you're just mucking about and not doing great work. And I have to say, when we first started out, it was a little bit like that. When I looked at the commercials, and every agency runs on a knife edge most of the time, we were only billing 30% of our time to clients, which to be honest, is a criminal. No wonder. How are you still in business? <laughs> it's quite a good day, right? No wonder um, people were staying and our staff attention was really high. They were having far too much fun to look elsewhere. I'm not saying they weren't doing work. It just wasn't 
the chaos enabled it to be hidden and the clients were probably getting an absolute bargain from us in terms of the amount of work that was being output. So there was a lot to fix and we went to see a chap called Ben Hunt Davies. I don't know if that name rings a bell, but he's an Olympic rower in the GB team at the time of the Sydney 2000 Olympics. He was around at the same time as the Speedway Grave Matthew Pinsent. And we just wanted to see how people who were top of their games talked about what they did and how their experience could be translated into how we thought. And Ben was talking about his Sydney 2000 experience and the fact that he and his eight-man crew won gold. They weren't even deemed to get anywhere near the podium, let alone win gold. And they did something very fundamentally different in their training routine, which changed their fortunes. And it's a lot to do about how they thought as opposed to what they actually did, because how we think changes how we feel and what we do. From the coaching perspective, it's a well-known fact. So what Ben and the team did was they had a mantra that drove everything, all their decisions, all of the elements that made them this Olympic winning team. And that mantra, which is wonderful if you're a rower, was will it make the boat go faster? And people who've seen Ben talk will know how compelling he is when he talks about this. You know, will having a pint of pint make the boat go faster? No, we won't do it. Will going in the training tank for two more hours make the boat go faster? Yes, right, we're going to do it. They didn't even go to the opening ceremony at the Sydney Olympics because they thought it wouldn't make the boat go faster. That's the dedication they had to this mantra. And when he was handing round his gold medal, and I don't know if you've ever held an Olympic medal. This is the only one I've ever, ever been near. But it, they're, they're pretty big and they're pretty heavy and they're really quite intricate. And it's quite symbolic of something pretty amazing. So um, I just think quite a lot about what we were doing and this latent purpose to want to have a great business and, and be one of the best places to work in the world. We turned that experience into having our own mantra. And our own is very much the same in terms of fact, it's a question. And it's, will it make life better? We're working with that client, make life better for them. Are we excited about their business? Do we understand their business? Can we do great work for them? Will it make life better recruiting this person into our business? Do we connect from a values perspective? Are they going to be able to do really good work here? Can we help them keep them charged up because they're clearly coming with batteries? Can we make life better in our community? Can we increase the economic impact of our business on the wider world? Can we make life better for others who potentially aren't as fortunate as we are? And it's locked up in our logo. You've got the word propeller net, you've got make life better underneath it, and it's there and it guides our purpose every day. That was a fundamental moment where we changed how we operated. It guides every single decision and it's not a selfish thing. It's a very selfless thing. And I think that's where its power is. So one of the things when I talk to people about their vision is, you know, have a bit brilliant. What is your vision? But the main thing is, can your team and your people articulate it? And can you see it being lived and breathed within your business? Yeah, so people get excited about it. Otherwise, it's not going to drive engagement. It's just another empty thing that some people do. And sometimes yeah. you read purpose statements and you go, God, really? You sat in a room and you came up with that? Um, <laughs> no. So you've got that purpose, make life better. You started there. What? And you've mentioned some of your values. How many values do you have? As a business. So it's five words, five really, really simple words, because if your purpose is where you're heading, your values are how you're going to get there. And ours, uh, innovation and creativity, it's what clients tend to buy us for. And then they tend to feel fun, adventure and well-being. Because we start th with this conversation with everybody that comes in the building, whether it's clients or recruits alike. And, and I often ask people that are in recruitment, you know, tell me about innovations you're into, show me your sense of creativity, are you fun to be with, what's your adventurous side and do you take care of yourself because we have a really massive issue in our industry with burnout and I can't get my head around the fact why a really cerebral career like ours or junior doctors or lawyers can have such a negative impact on people's well-being so we need to make sure that people are you know 
taking personal responsibility for this and really living that well-being value right from the off. Because if we connect on those five words, my God, we're in a good place for engagement going forward. Fab. So do you find people who, when you interview them, you don't connect on the values and they're not excited about your purpose? And so, and when you do, what happens? It's really interesting because the answer is yes. We do find people that don't connect and we just have a grown-up conversation and say, you know what, we're probably not going to make life better for each other. This isn't going to be a great place for either of us to be if you join and nip it in the bud there and then, and that's fine. We can't be all things to everyone. But it's about identifying it up front. But you know what, when people really do light up when you start talking about it, they're already pre-selling themselves to want the role so much that any competition for them that comes into the market is kind of playing second fiddle unless they do this same thing too. When you codified the purpose and the values, how big were you at the point where you did that? So the values already existed. Just and Jim had put them together. They just weren't living and breathing in the business. What we did was make them behavioural. I just wondered whether, because sometimes organisations have values. I have this debate with entrepreneurs and owners from time to time where, I don't know, they might have five values. And they say, well, you know what, everybody lives at least three. And I just wonder whether all of your employees have to be on top of all five. And if when you codify them and made them behavioral, whether you had any fallout from that, whether there were some people who just once you made it absolutely clear that this is what we're doing and this is how we're going to get there, whether you you had some people who were on the bus who then chose to get off. That's a really, really good question. I think the values themselves... There's not many there that you wouldn't want to be engaged in, unless innovation scares you, unless you don't feel that you are creative, and I believe everyone is in their own way, shape or form. And unless our particular type of adventure scares you, and it can do, but we are living on the bleeding edge of technology in our business. We have to be adventurous. If we're scared of adventure, we will shut down and we won't be able to innovate. So it's really important that people are open-minded. So bringing the values to life has been an organic process. And actually, we've kind of tested and learned with it along the way what does and doesn't work. And I think another level to it is codifying the behaviours. So the values are fine. So if you had a value of honesty, that's a, that's a word. But the behaviours, you hand in the wallet if you find it on the street. It's the same with ours. What does these words actually mean? And we've, we've kind of taken it to the next level and codified that. And it's about being a stunning colleague. If you live all of our values, everybody's going to want you on their team. If you live all of our values, you're going to do impactful work. If you live all of our values, you're going to feel engaged in what you're doing if they spark engagement in you in the first place. So I think people wax and wane on how much they are living them at any one, one moment in time. You, know, you can't be the fun king forever and you can't consciously be on an adventure all the time because you'd be exhausted. So they kind of mix together depending on how the flow is of the business and the flow is of everyone in the business. And, you know, we all have different energy levels. We map our energy levels. I've recently become a coach and it's one thing that we've been taught in the coaching environment is to look at our energy levels and look at where we can play best whether we're really at our peak in the morning and actually in the afternoon we tend to need to do different tasks or it's the other way around. And within the business, we have all those different types of people. So I think living the values is a mix of how the business is flowing at any one moment in time and how people feel they can at any one moment in time. There's an issue if you fundamentally disagree with all of them and hopefully we can find that out at the start. Fab. So you, you hire for the values you manage the business through the values. Do you promote fire for living or not living as an organisation? Have you had to do that? Never fired anyone for not living the values. Never fired anyone. <laughs> <laughs> in, in ten years. I haven't finished, finished that sentence. 
never fired anyone for doing anything other than gross misconduct. And then that is okay. that is completely not the values, but not not a specific thing. You know, like, okay. we're, we're pretty forgiving, and we tend to want to have a conversation with someone first to get them back on track, rather than fire someone for uh, something that could be looked at and could be worked on. And in the business, do you have a big, hairy, audacious goal? Do you have a, if this is our purpose and these are our values, this is where this business could be in 25 years' time, over the horizon? It's a very organic goal in the fact that we have capped the size of our team to 60 people. Ah, to 60 people? Six zero, yeah. And what we want to do is innovate in growth within that. I've been challenged on this a number of times, and some of the times people say, you're not ambitious enough. You know, if you've got something so good, why don't you scale it? Well, I beg to differ, but I'm, I'm not alone. More and more people are recognising that 21st century growth isn't just about more bums on seats. If you're running a future-fit, innovation-focused, people-first business, you should be able to come up with something better than that. You know, we could double the size of the business in a matter of months. It wouldn't necessarily increase the quality of work, the fun factor, or the margin. In fact, it could lead to less space, more management, more process, more operational headaches. If we doubled the revenue and doubled the headcount, we'd have the same revenue per person as before, except we'd be bursting at the seams and we'd have to manage twice the staff. So rather than look at revenue and numbers of people in the business, we look at revenue per person and how we can innovate in our growth to drive more revenue per person. It's not an unusual concept, but my God, it changes the way you think about the business and it affects a number of things within the business to get it to be as strong as it possibly can be such as it affects the clients you accept you develop a phobia of profit vampires as we refer to them people clients that take more of your time than they pay for and take attention away from other clients it affects who you hire when someone leaves we don't automatically replace that role instead we've got a strategic break on the numbers you critically evaluate every hire and it's an opportunity to shape the future of the agency and it also means we can't afford passengers everyone knows there are only 60 seats and they need to earn their seat the expectation is really clear in the language you use and everyone takes responsibility to move the business forward. But beyond the agency, and this is where the innovation comes from and where we want to be in 25 years' time, it's forced our strategic thinking to develop technology products that solve our problems in our business, that scratch our own itch, knowing that if we do that for ourselves, we can potentially solve problems for others too, and that's where the value lies, and that's where the growth is. And the first example of that is a tool called coveragebook.com. 30% of our agency is made up of PR people, and asking them how we could improve, what we could do better, what would make life better. The majority of them said, if only we could automate the creation of coverage books, it would make life better for everyone. You know, coverage when you're in PR is used to be cutting things out of newspapers and then pasting them into yeah. a book. Now it's sniffing out web pages and pasting into PowerPoint. And it's pretty soul destroying. And I'm cutting a very long four year journey short here, but Gary, our strategy director, took this one on. And after four years of self funded investment, we developed a tool that automates the production of coverage books. And not only that, it provides the reach and coverage metrics automatically too. It's kind of re-engineered PR reporting for the 21st century and it's gone global. So we're operating more than 4,000 cities around the world now and it's set to make more money than the agency. That's the kind of innovation and growth we're looking at. And we've got a number of ideas here lined up. That's fab. So over the last 10 years, where, where's your revenue per employee gone and where is it now? And what's your, do you have a future goal? Do you know what? I don't think I actually dared work it out when we were only billing 30% of our time. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, where is it now and where do you want it to go? Okay. So um, 
GitHub is around 90 to 100K at the moment. We've got some ideas okay. and other tools in place to make it 120, but the technology side of the business is near a 300K. So if you look at the business overall, it's a much healthier revenue per person, and obviously the margin huh. from a product perspective is much, much better. That's fascinating. And look, I subscribe to that view that there are diseconomies of scale. And when you get a business past a particular point, you've got a different set of challenges, a different set of skills are going to be needed. And if you don't need to, why would you? So that's great. Lots of people don't think about it like that. So it's fascinating that to talk to somebody who sees the world the same way. I haven't always been able to do that because mostly I've been working for organizations that were just determined to drive growth. But other than Dream Valley, do you all operate off the same site? Yes, we do. Uh, we do have one person whose dream is to live in New York, and she is part of the CoverSlip team, and she is out there making an absolute storm in New York because there's a whole PR network out there that we're tapping into for CoverageBook. And it's just so wonderful when your dream can be aligned to what you're doing in business, and that the best place for her is New York. So uh, let's go back then, the dreams. Tell me, it's an employee benefit, I guess. How does, how does it work? <laughs> Whenever I talk, particularly in HR forums about this, I tend to get people putting their heads on one side going, you do what? And I, we loved explaining it to HMRC. It was so much fun. Um, so <laughs> the idea is if we can talk about our dreams, I've done quite a lot of research around this. We tend to have around 100 dreams going around in our head at any one moment in time. Places you want to go, people want to meet, things you want to achieve. And it's actually really healthy to out those and you know, maybe write them in the book or tell people about them. Those are massive life-changing dreams. And what do you want to achieve? And if you ask about that within business, it's amazing that some of the things that come out from people that actually have an impact on the business. And I'll come to that in a minute. But when we first came up with the idea, Jack, once again, as he does push innovation, bought an old gumball machine. It's about five foot high. It's bright yellow got a glass dome at the top and in the glass dome there are capsules like you would get inside a kinder egg and it's inside each of those capsules is the name of each person in propellant who's passed their probation and if we hit a target or we win an award or just because it's funny because there's no rules around dreams we aim to release a dream ball and whoever dream ball comes out we aim to make one of their dreams come true and how do we know what their dreams are this is one of the reasons i absolutely love my job when people pass their probation, we make it a thing, we celebrate it. I've been in too many places where your probation date just flies past and you're not sure if you're supposed to have done anything. If, it, if you have passed a lot, you just kind of go, mm, okay, we'll ignore that. We don't do that. We celebrate probation hugely. And we ask people, I ask people two questions. What are you personally going to do to make this business even more successful? And if that happens, what can we do to help make one of your dreams come true? This, around 60 of us now, I've got around 300 dreams going around in my head because people tend to have more than one dream. And there's a lot of synergy between dreams that a lot of people want to have. You know, loads of people would like to get on the housing ladder. There's lots of travel dreams in there. But it's things that potentially are in the future. And if we can bring them forward, that's amazing. Can you imagine the spirit of loyalty that you unleash if you can help do that with people? So the Dream One Machine is kind of an icon of the whole thing about you know, bringing your whole self to work. We encourage people to have a side hustle as well and then do stuff within their working hours. If they, want, if they have another business that can actually impact our business. So in most businesses, that's kind of sacrilege and you would never allow someone to have something else going on. I think it's important people do. And we've got lots of people working lots of different working patterns. So not everyone is full time. They've got time to go and do these other side hustles and should they see fit. So the dream idea, it really came to life when we first won Great Places to Work and we released two dream balls from the dream ball machine. And Steve and Jim went off to the World Cup in Rio, something they both wanted to do since they were knee high to a grasshopper. Eshe is one of was one of PR people working brilliantly on brands like Waitrose. She's really into her food, 
And she wanted to create a traveling kitchen to work with celebrity chefs to travel around Europe. So her dream all came out last Christmas and she's created Eshade Kitchen and she recently did some work with the Hairy Bikers. So there's some lovely stuff that goes on that's kind of you know, beyond the agency, but we imagine the loyalty of people when we say, yeah, we can help you with that. And it's not all about money. It's a lot to do with commitment and connections. One of our teams said she wanted to stand on the West End stage. Now, a friend of mine is a stage manager, so it's relatively easy to sort. Another person asked me if I would help him find his dad. Can you imagine how that made me feel when we said, okay, let's do this. It, it might not turn out to be positive, but let's do this. And actually it did, it turned out brilliant. So the dreams are one thing, but it's now, it's not about waiting for your dream ball to drop. Because some people's dreams are so compelling, they have a massive impact on the business. So Dan was one of our brilliant technical SEO people, and he just said, look, I'd love to spend more time building and making things. He's been flying drones over Brighton for years and taking photographs and peering at us as well. He's, he's, a, he's really into that kind of thing. And we said, okay, we trust you, you're brilliant, we'll give you the time. And he came up with this tool called Answer the Public, which you may or may not have heard of, but it's like Google supercharged. It's making life better in the PR and content marketing industry because you put into the tool, answer the public, what you're looking for and what you're looking to promote. And it will show you all the things that people are searching for within that area to give you a huge sense of inspiration about what to write about. Because if you can be known as the answer to those people's queries, you're going to be ranking high in search engines, which is the best brand awareness that anyone can ask for. That site gets over 140,000 hits a month. That's way more than the Propellernet website and tenfold. And we've just started to look at how we can push that further and monetize it like coverage book. Now, if we hadn't have asked Dan, we would never have known. So that's one brilliant commercial impact on the business. Sophie is one of our audience strategy team, and she's brilliant at understanding what's going on online, sentiment, and um, what, what people really need. And her insights have fueled a lot of our creative ideas. She's also hugely into um, wild animals and wanted to go on safari. So when Wild Dog Safari's got in touch, and said, we'd love you to help us with our marketing, but we can't afford to pay you. Dreamball radar went off, and Sophie spent her sabbatical out in Namibia with Wild Dog Safaris and came back with a business plan. We now do their marketing for them, and they pay us in free safaris. Can you imagine how well that's gone down back at the run? It's not a commercial contract, it's a social contract, and people are experiencing their dreams and going to Namibia on the most amazing safari that they potentially could never have afforded to do on their own. What a job you have. That's great fun, isn't it? Just, yeah. I mean, Father Christmas, but not once a year, all the time. It is brilliant. And people do surprise you all the time, all the time. But there's just one more I would love to share with you. We had um, yeah, go on. relatively uh, good cash flow. And Jim, um, who started the business with Jack, he's Kevin McLeod wannabe. Um, he's really into doing up houses and, and making them and selling them on. And he said, to, he came to the pool and he said to the rest of us, you know that cash we got sitting in the bank that kind of does nothing, there's no return on it, and it's great, it's a great safety net, but can I do something with it? Could I go and get a mortgage on a house in Brighton, because there's plenty of massive properties, and turn it into starter homes? That'll help me fulfil my dream of doing more property development. And actually, we could sell them at a profit, which brings more money back into the business, revenue per person, ding, ding, ding. So yes, that sounds great. And knowing that we had a number of our team who wanted to get onto the property ladder, Steph in our team said to me, you know what, Nick, we can make more dreams come true. So when Jim bought the first house last year, we shared it in the company meeting in February and we offered the flat to people in our team because you're trying to buy a start home in Brighton, you tend to be 15 deep in the queue, five people will have cash coming down from London and the competition is fierce. We never want to make anyone cry, but in that meeting there were tears and people said, this is just unbelievable. How can a marketing agency enable me to get on the property ladder. And um, Hannah and Tom recently bought one of the flats and were able to do it off in the way they wanted. So their dream came true. 
Hemsdeep dreams coming true and they bought it at market value there's more profit coming back into the business overall so we can help fuel this whole thing uh, there's a couple of thoughts so i've got what's your dream <laughs> i've got so many hundreds the biggie i'd love to learn to fly i'd love the freedom of being up there with the birds that would be amazing I'd also love to take the whole agency to the Rio Carnival. Now, I've just realised that's just come out of my mouth and this is going to be public. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> Aha. It's an objective now, not a dream. <laughs> we have various things going on that mean we do like to travel as a group and um, perhaps one day that is possible. I just remember being at the Rio Carnival. I saw it in a James Bond film when I was a kid and I always wanted to go to Mardi Gras. And I went off with my husband and we went on a trip around South America and we finished at the Rio Carnival. And I don't know if you've ever been or if you know anyone that has, but it's almost life-changing. There's the beat of the samba drum going for nine hours and you don't stop dancing. And there's 30,000 people in the most amazing, creative, colourful outfits you have ever seen. It's, it's an absolute visual feast. I can shut my eyes now and see it. And I think it's one of those wonders of the world that people should be able to see. And if we can make that possible, that would be amazing. That's brilliant. Um, there's a couple of things that are spinning around in my head that seem connected. So you've only got 60 staff. There's pressure for seats. That creates some competition for people to up the game. They're not looking for passengers. And I was just thinking about your flexible working and people being allowed to do a side project. And I was just thinking, is that because you've got so little staff churn that you're trying to give people growth opportunities without having to leave and go somewhere else? Is that I mean, is that, is that how you see the challenge or has that been organic? Was there no particular plan to it? It just ended up there. You've hit the nail on the head because, let's be honest, we're a marketing agency. People aren't going to fulfil their lifelong careers if they stay with us for 25 years. But if we think about what they want to achieve in life, and we could necessarily give them a different spin on business, you know, Jim with his property, Sophie with the um, safari, if there's something else that they can bring into the business that has an impact, why not? And, you know, there isn't a blueprint. There isn't a roadmap. We're not following the same sheet music as everybody else. Some of this won't work, some of it will, but we're going to have a lot of fun trying. And it's really interesting. When people do leave, and they do, there's quite a hit in the business because it happens very rarely compared to other companies. Where I've been previously, you get someone leaving every other week and it's just kind of part of the natural fabric of the business. We have that, it's a lot less at Propellernet. So people get hit quite hard. And I always say, we will never barter with you. I don't know about you, but I've been bartered with a number of times when I've handed in my notice. And actually, it's kind of bittersweet because if people start chucking money at you, you think, why was I worth it before? Why did I have to go and do something else? And I won't make people feel like they're a pawn in the game between two businesses. If someone has taken the trouble to go and look somewhere else and they're perfectly within the right to do so, and they've written that letter and they've signed on the line, fine, I will only ever support you. I will never try and turn your head. But if you change your mind, and that happens quite a lot with us, and they decide, just people decide they don't want to go, we'll look at what wasn't working for you in the first place to see if it's valid for you to come back. So the whole leader thing is quite interesting for us because I want to be really honest and open with people. And the minute someone leaves, we ask them to tell their team. We share it in the weekly company meeting. So almost immediately, everybody knows. And then they tell their client. Because I don't know about you, I've been on the other side of that as a client. And my team members have left, and I just haven't been told. And you phone up to speak to someone, and you've got some poor soul on the end of the phone going, oh, they're, kind of, they're not here right now. And it's just embarrassing all around. So we treat leaving as, in such a grown-up fashion as we do starting. You know, why not? And people are allowed to leave. So it's, it's actually, why not celebrate what they've done when they're with you, but give them as much inspiration and as much space while they are with us to do what they need. 
Yeah. Does that then foster, if you can get an open adult conversation about what's not working for people, then hopefully you don't get to the point where anybody hands the notes in and it's a surprise. You know, you've, you've had an opportunity to fix it before then. Yes. And I encourage people to speak up all the time. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to speak up. We do have a very open culture, but still, you know, people might just want to go and do something different. What I do celebrate is when people go and do something very different. You know, if they want to move countries or they want to go back to education or they want to go client side, it's not just changing the desk within an agency scenario. Absolutely celebrate that. But, you know, if they want to go to a different agency because there's a different growth path, fine. We'll only ever support someone in doing that. Going back to the book then, the book is your history or it's a it's a handbook to replicate what you've done it's we've been calling it a rough guide for anyone who ah. is running a business and wants to understand our, our kind of well we've got in there 10 ideas we never said no to that seem a bit off the wall and mad and 10 of our epic fails you know i'm sharing the, the tough stuff as well as the upside because you know the whole thing about the commercials when we first looked at it was really quite scary and choosing chaos over creativity was, was not a great place to be and recruiting in haste and just chucking somebody into a role rather than thinking, hang on, what do we actually need? We've made all the mistakes and I'm sure there's more we're going to make. So the book is, is a rough guide just to hopefully shortcut the learning curve for people, but some real practical tips and advice in there about how to be super engaged and journeys around things that we've done wrong. So there's at the end of each chapter, how to be super engaged and you win some, you lose some. And there's some funny stories in there about things that kind of gone more wrong had we not stopped them at the time. And how do, you, how do you measure engagement? So um, we are part of Great Places to Work Awards, as you, as you know, and that's a wonderful question yeah. set of everyone. And you get a lot of data back from that. But I'm very aware that that's an external award. So we also do an internal culture catalyst check. We work with a company called Ven somehow, and they've written a book with me to look at our culture internally, and we measure it every year. So those are the two kind of official things that we do. And we look at the swing analysis of what changes and we are open with all the figures. There's nothing hidden. It's completely transparent. And we ask our team to help us solve anything that's gone in the wrong direction or scores that aren't as good as they should be. We also have regular check-ins and one-to-ones and well-being check-ins. And there's, there's so many touch points that we try to have to enable people to have conversations about what they're engaged with and what they're not. And the weekly company new news meeting is a great forum for sharing what's gone well, but also what hasn't gone quite so well and how we can collectively fix it. At the end of campaigns, we're not as good as we should be, but we have retrospective. So stop, don't just rush on to the next thing and think about how that campaign went or how that piece of work went and ask really four really simple questions. What did we do well? What should we do differently? What did we learn? And what still puzzles us? And you tend to be able to surface all the things that potentially could cause people to become unengaged because they're problems. But if you address them in the moment, you can get back on the front foot and go, oh, okay, right, we'll do that differently next time. As long as it's action-oriented and it's not moaning, you can get a long way with engagement. Fantastic. Sorry, I, I, I wasn't, I'm not sure I caught the, the name of the company that you use for engagement that you wrote, co-wrote the book with. It's called Then Somehow, all one word. Ah, and Then Somehow. Yes. If you went back in time and had to do your 10 years again, is there one thing you would do differently? <laughs> Got the dream ball in earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Wheeled the machine in earlier. That would have been more fun. Do you know, I think we would have been a lot clearer on our purpose earlier if we could. We would have met Ben Hunt Davies earlier and we would have had more grown up conversations with clients. It's a big thing for me that 
we never want to get into a client supplier relationship. We want to be those partners. And I know loads of agencies say that all the time, but it makes such a difference if you treat your client well and they treat you well. And there's a lovely quote from David Ogilvy about the fact that he's worked with some clients that you couldn't possibly do good work for, but others you couldn't possibly not because of the way they treat you. And I think I'd have much more grown-up conversations with clients much earlier on to improve the engagement all round with us and them because that's a major part of agency working relationships and something we could have got right a lot earlier. Do you turn client work down because you just think you can't do good work? Yes, quite a lot. And that's not from arrogance. That's purely because we want to do a great job. And we often talk with clients up front about whether we're going to connect on our values. And we have our clients challenge us and say, no, I don't care that you can go for a walk on the beach and how engaged your team are. And my, my response to that is, well, that's fine. Perhaps we shouldn't work together. What you really should be thinking about is working with an unengaged agency. That's a real waste of your money. If you want to get the best return for your buck, I would suggest working with people who are engaged in what you do is the best way forward. And for them to be engaged, you kind of need to treat them like human beings. Yeah. And what about some book, a book or book suggestions for people who are looking to go on this journey? I've got a few. To Deep Work by Cal Newport. What a genius. When I was writing the book, I'm so glad I read his book because trying to run a business with all the clients and all the people and all the ideas, all the innovation, and then sitting down to focus on the book is so hard. It was a real hard journey for me. But reading Cal Newport's book about how to focus was invaluable. And if you haven't got a book to write, whatever you want to focus on, it's a really, really good read. The other one, very similar to that, is Gary Keller's One Thing. Because we all have so many priorities and we can drive ourselves nuts. And I don't know if you've read this one, but it's brilliant at helping you prioritise to get to that big, hairy, audacious goal. But there's so many things to do along the way. What is your next step? And it's lovely to be able to think, like, you know, don't put too much pressure on yourself. What's the next thing you're going to do? And then my two favourite ever workbooks, both by Jason Fried from Basecamp and 37 Signals, are Rework. So they're looking at work differently. And he's just released It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. And it is genius challenging convention on so many levels about what is right and what is wrong with the workplace 